Welcome back to the Todd Duncan Podcast. A member of the industry syndicate. This is where success happens. Todd's goal is to transform your business and life through deeper connections, higher trust, and proven strategies to help you win and give you your best life ever. Here's your host, Todd Duncan. Hey, it's Todd Duncan. Welcome to the Where Success Happens podcast. Every single time we record a podcast, we have one desire, and that is to create impact in your life and your business by sharing with you implementable strategies to be your very best. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of hanging out with a a guy that I've known since the early 2000s, RJ Crosby. RJ is a producing branch manager. He lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, and he is a remarkable mortgage banker, an incredible human being, and a really intelligent operator. So RJ, welcome to our podcast today. It's good to have you here, friend. Hey, thank you. Good to be here with you for sure. Yeah, it's been quite a journey, huh? Oh, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. It's uh, it's so fun to just spend a couple minutes as we start these with like, what's your story? How did you get into lending? And then let's just bring it up to today. What's happened in the last 12 to 24 months in your life? You know, what have you done in the business that you feel really, really proud of? What have been some of the hurdles you've had to get over? What are some of the greatest victories you've had? And we'll just have a great organic 30 minutes or so together, but tell everybody how you got started. Yeah, well, I, I, uh, you know, as a young child, I I knew I wanted to go into the mortgage industry. I I knew all the way through high school and college, this is exactly what I was going to do. Probably like most of us, right? No, Uh, no, none of that's true. Um, So, you know, we all have our strange stories, um, but I was in telecommunications. I was a regional vice president for MCI WorldCom, uh, managing 15 states and had 254 people in my organization. I was, uh, my, my wife and I at the time were pregnant with our, our first child, and I wanted to be a dad that was home every night sleeping in my own bed versus on the road and having to go golfing with a guy who was in the mortgage industry. And it seemed like I could probably with, you know, a lot of hard work and a little bit of good luck might be able to replace my income as a regional VP of work of MCI WorldCom. So from there, I left all that behind, went full commission and jumped into the mortgage business. My very first day in the industry, um, thankfully, he took me to this seminar in Denver, Colorado, where I watched you, Tim Broadhurst, Stephen Marshall and Jim McMahon um, do a 12 hour long from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. I'm like, man, these guys are hardcore. Um, So it was uh, seven hours uh, just, you know, rolling out their playbooks um, and yeah, it was just, it was just incredible. And then from there, um, you know, probably a, l- a little cocky looking back, but I thought, geez, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. So went on the journey, um, obviously, have, you know, I think my first year, you and I have talked, I think I spent 25 or $30,000 on all the different tools that you had and just went absolutely all in and it's been an amazing run. So that's I how think, I got started. Uh, yeah, I, I love the story. And I recall something because you took the time in 2005 to send me a quick note and yeah. you kind of lined everything out. And yeah. um, you had been going for, I guess, you know, three years maybe or so. And and uh, I think the first year you said you like brought in like 20 million in volume. And then I think you jumped up to like 
40s something. And by the time that we got to the end of the paragraph, you were knocking on the door of 60 plus. And I know you've gone way higher than that too in your career. It's been fun to watch you and yeah, fun to, to see the, the navigation of how somebody can actually make a career shift and then go to the, you know, the next level. So it's, yeah. it's a remarkable story. Yeah. Um, so, so when you think about the journey so far um, and you think about like, what you're doing today, what are you most passionate about in terms of being a, a mortgage professional, being a leader, you know, what brings you joy and what gets you up in the morning? I think it's probably kind of two different things. So on the, on the origination side, you know, you, you know, that um, once I started my own branch and, and decided to start managing again, that culturally I implemented the word family, right? And, yeah. and you know that. And so that is really the passion, right? Is helping families. They're not files, loans, deals, transactions. They're, they're families. And so we replace all of those words in our, in our branch with that word family. And I think it's really caught on fire and, and is, you know, almost industry wide, it seems like at this point, because it just resonates and it totally yeah. makes sense. So just helping families better themselves. I've always loved personal finance. Um, so digging in there and just trying to improve the lives of, of families, that is absolutely my passion on that side. And then at this season of my career, I've, you know, I'm in a position to, to help, to mentor other people in the industry. And I've always loved that part as well. So, you know, helping helping new originators that are on our team, in our company, in the industry, whatever. Um, just like, you know, the names I mentioned before help me. And so um, it's really, really fun to, I guess, you know, maybe the common theme is I love changing lives. I love having an impact on people's lives. And I do that every day with families and every day with originators and processors and different people on the team. And it's, it's just, uh, that's, that's my passion. That's what I focus on. And then the rest just falls in place. So I think it's a, it's a remarkable, um, man, ideology, methodology. Uh, it's a remarkable, um, I think decision to value people. And, you know, I think in the world in which we live right now with all the, the confusion, you know, we're still kind of figuring out, uh, how far, closer to the end of COVID are we and, you know, what's going on there and, mm -hmm. and all of that. We learned a lot of lessons in the last year and a half or so about work and productivity and what really matters. But before we go into that, um, I, I want to just go a little bit deeper in terms of the impact that you feel um, a team has under your leadership when you think about families instead of files. Because I think this is a it's it's catching on just like lender for life you know has caught on and yeah. and you still have people that say they're a lender for life and they don't contact their past clients and you still have people that talk about families but they don't know what's really important to them you've uniquely blended all this together and the whole idea of emotional impact emotional connection and and having people feel that you know them deeply yeah. particularly when they're involved in arguably probably the biggest purchase that they'll ever make in their life and the biggest piece of debt they'll ever have in their life. Talk about how you, you get culture going. You have a t-shirt that says culture wins and, you know, culture trumps strategy. You 
talk about that. Well, I think simply put on that on that theme of family and what that does to a culture. Um, I had an old I had an old processor at a previous company that um, literally I can I can visualize her doing it. There was you know, this is back in the day and we were stacking them and doing the whole punches and putting it together and everything. <laughs> it was pretty pretty good size file at that time, right? And it was hard, right? It was a lot going on with this file. And she literally took it and was like, make this file go away. This thing sucks. Just make it go away. And rolling the clock forward, when you come to something like that, that's not a bad file, a crappy file that you're trying to make it go away. That is, that's a family's story, right? That, that's a divorce. That's a medical situation that's a bankruptcy whatever and they need our expertise our skill set to solve those problems with them and help them get beyond all of that and into a home which is all about family right so i remember that and then i remember the first 10 days that we started our new branch everyone came over from the old company we instituted this new word family and we had one of those tough files, um, but now it was called a family. And a, the processor, a different processor that had transitioned over with us, she was like, gosh, you know, I'm finding myself all in with this family. They had a short sale and she was trying to navigate it all, work through the guidelines. And she's like, I I'm all in. Like, I feel like when they get their house, I'm gonna get the house with them and I want to help this family do everything I can versus a file that was taking longer than another. Right. So it's just been huge culturally. Um, and we just live it out every single day. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes all the, all the difference in the world because, you know, when you connect with people, you have a entirely different um, foundation for having relationship, for having conversation and, certainly in the world in which we we live and we start to value the idea of <clears throat> client retention and 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 loyalty and 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 giving continual value years and years and years down the road um it, it is birthed at this idea that this is not zero zero one two three four nine it is the johnsons right and and right. so you start to think of it that way and it's powerful so you're a producing branch manager um, you have your own book of business. You help equip other people to succeed well. What are the what are the the things that you're most proud of um, that have really allowed you to become an effective leader of people, an effective developer of people, while still maintaining your own book of business? And so, just unpack that for us. I think I think being a branch manager, being a producing branch manager, arguably is probably one of the the tougher jobs that there is. I, I think a lot of people get into management without really asking, you know, do I want to be a leader? Do I want to really develop? Because we're not born as leaders. We do have to learn how to lead. And typically we don't have a, a really great onboarding program for taking an, uh, a loan originator and yeah. making them a manager. Talk about that journey. Talk about the lessons you've learned as a leader, maybe the one or two biggest things you've done. And then let's get into one or two kind of coaching situations where you've taken your leadership and made an impact on other LOs. So let's start with the first thing. 
Well, I, you know, I remember and anyone that's come from any other industry, I'm sure you've had a similar reaction. But when I came into this industry, you know, most other industries, you have a sales manager and that's what they do is manage and they have a, you know, a sphere of influence of, of whatever, six to 12 or something like that. Um, and then you have your salespeople. And when I came into this and saw that there are branch managers producing, I was like, what? That is the craziest thing <laughs> I've ever seen. Like, that is nuts. I would never do that. Well, here I am. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it is a lot. And uh, you definitely have to be on top of your game to be able to do it. Obviously, I had the unique fortune of being in management for, you know, a really large uh, Fortune 500 company and all the training and experience that went with that. So for me, I, I definitely had a leg up. It wasn't like I started managing just because right. I was a top producer, which is what which is what normally happens. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think some of the stuff that I'm most proud of is, you know, helping originators that have come into the industry and you know they struggle they're 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 you got to have some financial wherewithal to get going in this and um so it's a full commission deal and you know it can be really hard to get started in but it's one of those businesses that if you can push through obviously it's a it's a great business but the barrier to entry is pretty big and it's gotten even bigger with licensing and everything else that we're doing now so helping some of those folks that um you know really just, I mean, literally, there's one story where he had $500 in his checking account and um, was thinking about getting out of the business and then went on to, you know, do 20 million and then 30 million and then 36 million and 42 million. And now he's he's at a different company now, but he's running his own branch. He's um, living in one of the best parts of town, um, just bought a building. It's super cool to have had my fingerprint on his path to success um, and, and it just feels, just feels awesome. And, um, we've got a couple examples of like that, but yeah, that's, it's really cool. And, and, you know, someday I'll be part of his story when he looks back on his life and it's cool to have had that, that time with him. And, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that, you know, where, where that impacts me is, um, and it, the idea of followership, which, you know, leadership is about followership and, <clears throat> there's a difference between authoritative followership and value-based followership. And I think that it's a, it's an interesting distinction because when leaders move from thinking that they're a manager and they have a title and therefore then to mm -hmm. I'm a guy or a gal and I care deeply about my people yeah. and where I lead them. Followership is either you have to, or you want to, right? You have done a brilliant job creating. I want to, and I think it's interesting to to maybe have a, a dialogue about that because you know we we all have KPIs, we all have metrics, we all have optics. We can manage that stuff until the cows come home, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, you can only manage assets. You you have to lead people. So when you think about leadership and you think about impact and you think about like the story you just said that someday you'll be part of that story. Why is it that so many managers don't understand the leadership piece or 
in your experience, how can that be expedited if you don't have, like you said, you know, a lot of experience prior to coming into the role that you got into? What's your advice there? And I know some of the people you're talking about, and it's yeah. it's it's got to be. I just I feel it in my heart. I just feel like those people that you've impacted have been transformatively changed by you. And that's big. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, gosh, I think that, um, I've always just subscribed to, um, you know, um, not, not an authoritative style of leadership, leading by example, coaching, servant leadership, for sure. And I've had some wonderful examples of that in leadership throughout my companies as well. That was not the case in telecommunication at all. Um, I I really learned most of that over here uh, in this industry. And I just, I guess I, I, the power of observation for me is huge. That is, that's how I learned. So by being around successful people, by being as an example, you know, I mean, whether you were sitting here talking to me or not, but going to sales mastery, right, and and observing the success of others, and then being an elite and and being around people that are living, working, loving at a very high level, um, just that power of observation is huge for me. So. I really just learned by surrounding myself with successful people, um, staying away from uh, Eeyores, as one of my old leaders used to say. And um, yeah, just and it, and then it just it creates this weather pattern of just success and positivity. Um, I, I really think leadership at this point is very, very easy. Uh, it's not anything I have to try to do. It comes natural. Um, I think that our whole culture and our branch is one of success. People want to be a part of it. And um, if I want to hire someone, this is literally what I do. I literally open my door right there. And I did this a few months ago. I open the door and I say, hear ye, hear ye, right? Just to get everyone's attention in, <laughs> in our thing. And I'm like, hey, gang, I want to hire a couple people. Here's what I want to do. And then that's it. And then all of a sudden, my in- inbox fills up with, hey, I got a friend over here, I got a friend over here. And we we just recently hired three people that exact way. So I don't, I don't go, it's kind of like how I run my mortgage practice, right? It's referral only. Um, like you have to be referred to me, otherwise you're never going to find out about me. Same thing when we're looking at people. So once you get to that point, like I say, it just creates this kind of positive weather, weather pattern and we're just rolling just this success culture that people want to be a part of. They want to be a part of a winning team. That that to me is is maybe one of the laydowns right there. People want to be part of a winning team. And you know, I, I think that it's it's interesting. Um you the, one of the guys that you already mentioned, Jim McMahon, who was uh one of the four people that were yeah. part of that one day event yeah. that you came to. Um, Jim made a comment to me two months ago in Texas, and he said, RJ is by far the best operator I have ever, ever known. Oh, that's, wow. quite a comp- that's quite a compliment yeah. coming from yeah. the president of your company, Benchmark. And yeah. beyond what you've already said, if you were to do a clinic for people on 
what are the two or three things, not relationally, not emotionally, yeah. you know, not family versus file. If you were to do a clinic, what are the two or three things that you think make you what Jim said about you, the best operator I've ever met? If you, you're a clinic, you're talking to a bunch of yeah. branch managers right now, what's your, what's your five minute clinic? I think that one of the keys is that you have to treat this like a business, right? So there is a process by which everything is done. There are job descriptions. There are scripts. Um, it, it shouldn't matter who's off that day or, or who's on vacation or who's on the phone. Everything is done the same, right? The the appraisal out phone call is the same. The pre-closing phone call is the same. Um, it's all, it's and it's all documented. It's all flowed out, and it all makes sense. And by the way, I didn't I didn't invent any of this stuff, right? I swiped and adapted from 19 years of going to sales mastery. So there's very very little in there that I invented myself, but it's blending all the best practices together and, and creating what works for you and, and having a true business. And then there's a lot of coaching and mentoring. One of the things I, I think that, you know, a lot of teams could do a better job on in this industry is something will go wrong and they all know it, but they're so busy. They just keep moving on. And the only way to get better is to do a, a post-mortem, you know, kind of review on that. And then in our, in our world, we, we, we love the expression fail forward. Yeah. I mean, this thing's so complicated, Todd, you're going to make mistakes all the time. I don't care how long you've been doing it. It's never going to be perfect. It's, I, I act like it's kind of like a round of golf, right? You're never going to par every time you're going to hit one in the water, shank one in the sand, <laughs> whatever. Um, it's just going to happen no matter how good you are, but you have to, fail forward and just not make that mistake again. That's kind of our philosophy. But we go back, we talk about a mistake, huddle everyone up, learn from it. And then we go, okay, we can't make that one again. Like we're going to make another mistake, no doubt about it, but we're not allowed to make that one again. And I think that's an important management tool, coaching tool, uh, so that everyone's mortgage IQ comes up together. Yeah. You're all learning from each other's, you know, rut rows. Yeah. I think it's remarkable to think through what you just really said. You, you mentioned it earlier on on the dialogue. You used the word observation and the power of observation. And uh, I remember a, a quote when I was a, a, a brand new sales person in the mortgage business. It was from um, uh, Ben Franklin. And the quote was, the eye of the master will do more than both of his hands. And I think that points to what you just said. There's a lot of people that just um, labor their way to the end of the day. Yeah. And they, they muscle their way through and they handle all the stuff and they, you know, they get through it and then they go home and like, it's somewhere between then and the next morning, I got to get refired up to do that whole thing again. And I think there's two things that, that don't happen. One is I don't think people are situationally observant. I, I don't think they stop long enough to go, this doesn't feel right, or this isn't working right, or we don't question through observation, is there a better way? Right, the second right. thing that gets in the way is that, that, that in order to grow, 
there has to be a culture that the leader establishes that failure is part of the success equation. Yeah. In fact, yeah. you cannot have success if you could not also have failure. And yeah. so the idea that failure is okay, remarkably the idea that failure is necessary, and then specifically, it's okay for you to fail. Yeah. But you don't want to do it twice. And there's right. some really game-changing things that you know, might have a little bit more grace. You could make the same mistake three or four times and it's maybe marginal. It's not going to kill a deal or this or that. Mm -hmm. Or you can make one mistake one time and it can kill a relationship. And mm -hmm. the idea that a culture should be energetically focused on making mistakes part of greatness, mm -hmm. that's a big deal because there's, there's companies and there are leaders that don't feed that being okay. So how do you, you're, you're big on the, the word huddle. We, we just had yeah. an elite call an hour and a half yeah. ago and we talked yeah. about huddles. What do you, how do you, how do you as a leader handle the failures so that the team learns from them? And how do you, how do you pour into somebody that has maybe made a mistake and have them feel okay about it. Cause I think that's, that would be an exceptional little couple minutes to talk about. Yeah. Well, um, so a couple things. One, um, we have a system in our branch called, did you know? So if you stub your toe on something, the guideline gotcha, or maybe the opposite, you like read some guideline. It's like, what? I've been in the business 15 years. I had no idea you could do that. <laughs> um, rather than you being the only one that knows it, we send out a, did you know, email. So the subject line is, did you know? And then you just, you know, like if an underwriter emailed you something, you cut and pasted in or kind of explain what you did or what got you or whatever, and then just send it out to everyone. Okay. So then everyone looks at that again, everyone's mortgage IQ coming up together. Okay. Because now you got everyone in the branch doing this stuff. And then you save it over in a did you know Outlook file. So now the next time you come across that, you're like, I swear someone sent something out on that. You go to it and boom, and you're off and running. You don't have to fact find and figure all this out. So that's number one. Number two, we have something called loan officer think tank. Okay. And I have multiple branches that come in on this. Um, and, you know, we do it doing teams now. Um, so we do 20 minutes on marketing, 20 minutes on processes, and 20 minutes on programs. I'm simply there to moderate and get us moving from one topic to the other. But everyone kind of brings their stuff, might be the did you knows or whatever. Um, and again, we're taught and it's amazing. I mean, look, have I gone to those thinking, ah, you know, what are these guys that do less volume with than me possibly going to teach me or whatever? And you come out of there and you're like, that is unbelievable. Like, you know, whatever. Chris down the hallway figured out how to do whatever. And he's been originating for six months and he cracked the code on something that I didn't even know you could do. So we create a place to share all that sort of information. Now, if it's something significant where a mistake has put a loan in jeopardy, then that's a quick little huddle of everyone on the team and we we use our brain power to be like okay so this is what happened but how how can we get this back on track make it seamless 
we know we stubbed our toe, but can we get beyond this, get back on track and, and make it kind of a behind the scenes row, or are we going to have to inform people of what happened? Um, so yeah, just a quick huddle to get all that mortgage IQ together. That's awesome. No, that's awesome. And I think, you know, I think it's interesting to, um, to, I just wrote down meeting structure. And I think that far too often we don't have like structural, um, agendas around meetings. And when you get into those buckets, the three you just mentioned, you know, you get a rhythm going and it's powerful. And I think a lot of people are bored of meetings and tired of meetings. And we look at COVID and we look at zoom and how many people have just like yeah. massive zoom fatigue and, you know, meetings should be engaging. They should be, you know, rewarding. They should be informational, instructional. They should be uh, free from any fear of of sharing anything. And and that's kind of the culture that you've created. It's it sounds it sounds exceptional. Um, let me let me shift gears. We've got about five minutes left or so, and we 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 come out of like last year um yeah. we're all getting through what we started in march of last year and you know we were in savannah for a lead and it was like boom here comes covid yeah what have you done what are the high water marks or lessons you've learned in leading through the difficult times that we've been involved in remote learning remote doing remote you know Talk about that a little bit and how you have some high watermarks that you think were really great moments in a period in our country's life and the world's life that was was a little difficult, to say the least. Yeah, I, I remember being in Savannah, and it was a unique opportunity where we were there with people from all over the country, right, in elite. And so they're getting pictures of grocery stores emptying out and whatever, and maybe different parts of the country aren't. And so... You know, I mean, I called my close circle back here and I'm like, listen, like right now you got to go do this, this, this and this. And they're like, oh, you know, there's no big deal or whatever. And I'm like, no, like right now, like, listen to me, this is what's going on around the country. And then, gosh, it was even a you know, bigger deal than any of us thought. But I think um, one kind of thing that I realized going through last year is that um operational efficiency wins the game. Um, a lot of people had volume that they couldn't even handle properly. And we were so efficient that we were literally raising our hands saying, hey, um, corporate, if you have any branches that are struggling to process or whatever, uh, we've got extra capacity. And um, I, like, wait, you have what? And so we literally <laughs> brought in a lot of revenue last year by doing contract processing for other branches because of the operational efficiency. And we went most of the year with only two uh, processors, but, you know, they were able to do 50, 60 families a month because of the way the upfront team puts it together. So um, I think that's when we really got a lot of attention in this branch for our operational efficiency. And then they paired us up with a couple of other branch opportunities. And, uh, you know, we've since partnered with other branches and it's been really, really awesome. Um, so I, I think that is the key is that, you know, we didn't, it's kind of like a well-trained someone in special forces who's well-trained, oh. right? If you're well-trained and you've rehearsed it a million times when you're put in the heat of battle, 
they perform at crazy <clears throat> high levels. And we have a lot of Green Berets that I'm fortunate enough to know and work with and now call really good friends. But it's training, 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 training. And that's what we did. I just don't think we knew how good we were until we got tested. And it was pretty awesome. And we really stood out. And I mean, it's just, it's not me. It's this incredible group of people that, that you know, I call teammates here at the branch that just, it's just, it's just incredible. It was an incredible experience. And we, we definitely stood out and did a great job, created raving fans internally and externally. Yeah, no, it's, it's super powerful. And, you know, it's interesting too, as I, and I say this to everybody that's uh, listening or watching, <clears throat> one of the things that we talk about is if you don't have a way of doing business, you'll have as many ways as you have clients. And what RJ has brought up and, and certainly what I think led to Jim saying what he said about you is the idea that you have created a manufacturing process that is delightfully sensitive to a family's situation going through buying a home. And it's repeatable. It is effective. It is systematic. Um, without making it too mechanical, it is an assembly line that has every piece of the journey figured out. And that's why you can have people go on vacation and people step in and have people, you know, away from maternity leave or this, that, or the other thing. And the business keeps working. And I would say to everybody that's, that's watching or listening, I just wrote down, I, sometimes I write stuff down and I can't look away because I don't want to look away from the moment, but I wrote down operational efficiency wins the game. And, and that to me is maybe one of the big takeaways is that if you, as a mortgage professional at whatever level you are, can help build efficient manufacturing of the customer journey and delight them in that process and have it be repeatable, 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 there's no telling how much volume you can do and how much faster you can help a family win and wow. how much loyalty you create through that, minimizing any of this, the stress that typically goes into to buying and financing a home. And by the way, everybody that works in that process ends up with more joy because mm -hmm. it's less stressful. And I think that's the big takeaway from that, that moment. Final question. What would yes, you sir. tell, what would you tell today, knowing what you know, the RJ in 2003, I think, or two, when you got into the business, what would you tell that younger RJ today, knowing what you know now? You know, I think I would tell that RJ that um, fitness and health are the number one priority to success mm. and that you need to make sure that you're doing you every day before you help everybody else. Um, and I think really I would just park it right there because without health, um, you really have nothing. And I think in our industry, it's pretty easy to let health go. We sit all day, long hours on the phone. I think it's, uh, you know, it's kind of our own industry pandemic is, is <laughs> you know what I mean? Really it yeah. is. And, and, um, you, you see it when you're at sales masteries and stuff and, and, but yet people have figured it out. I mean, people are, you know, like got great, great waistlines and great businesses. It, it absolutely can be done. And I think that's what I would tell my younger self, because uh, it's hard to catch back up 
you know, when you let that go, then it's like, oh man, this is, this is a lot of work, like Mount Everest getting back. So yeah, I I would uh, make that part of my daily disciplines from day one going into this industry that is, um, got a lot of stress and a lot of sitting. (laughs) You know, it's, and it's really powerful because, uh, you, you bring up sales mastery and, uh, and while we did a, while we did a virtual event last year, globally with nine countries and 48,000 people the year before we were in San Diego and I talked about a a report that had come out, a clinical report on, um, the healthier people are the wealthier they become and wealthy people are healthy people. And those two things are together and, and they cannot be separated. It doesn't mean that everybody that's wealthy is healthy. And it doesn't mean that everybody that's healthy is wealthy, but there is correlation that those two things advance based on each one of them advancing. So super powerful. And I love, I love you going back to that. And, you know, we, we, we've been on journeys together for a long time on, yeah. on, you know, health and wellness, and it's an yeah. exceptional idea to close our, our time together. So RJ, thank you so much for just being a, a shining light in the industry. Thank you for leading at the level you lead. I know you've made an impact you and your team on thousands and thousands of lives. And uh, it's remarkable to call you friend. And I appreciate our time together. Thank you, Todd. And seriously, thank you for what you do for our industry, what you've done for me, my family. It's really, really special, man. Thank you. That's why I wake up, man. That's all I need to hear. Yeah. Cool, man. Okay. Have a great day. And thanks everybody for watching. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.